Hello. Welcome to the Brookings Cafeteria, a place where Brookings scholars discuss ideas about and solutions for the most pressing public policy challenges. I'm Fred Dews. Forty-four states in the District of Columbia have adopted the Common Core State Standards in English Language Arts and Mathematics. Yet despite initial enthusiasm, criticism and outright opposition to the standards are beginning to arise. In this podcast, Tom Lovelace, a senior fellow in the Brown Center on Education Policy at Brookings, explains how the Common Core came about, why some are opposed to it, and what his research shows about its impact on student achievement. Tom, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. We're here to talk about the Common Core state standards. Can you start by giving me an overview, a brief overview of what the Common Core is? Yeah, the Common Core is a project that began around 2008-2009, and a group of states got together, decided that Every state in the United States having a separate set of standards in in mathematics and reading um, just wasn't the right way to go. And why couldn't the states voluntarily uh, start a process where a common set of standards was written and then the states could adopt those standards? So eventually, uh, a set of standards was written in English language arts Mm -hmm. and also in mathematics. And 45 states adopted uh, the standards. Minnesota did kind of a weird uh, deal where it adopted the standards in English language arts, but uh, did not adopt the standards in math. They kept okay. their old standards. And how were these standards developed? Uh, was there input from educators and parents and other groups? That's actually a controversial question, uh, how they were developed. People who were critics of the Common Core say they were developed in, in secrecy. That's only partially true. um, They were developed by a panel of experts uh, in the field of math in terms of math education um, and in English language arts, the same same thing. They were – then a draft of the standards was written by a very small group Mm -hmm. and then it was vetted with a larger group um, that essentially served as an advisory panel. And I read the standards, suggested changes. Then there was another draft. And so it was an iterative process. At various points, there were teachers who were brought in to comment on the standards. But one of the charges of critics of the standards is that teachers were not brought in enough or they were brought in kind of after the standards were already written rather than having real substantive input at the mm-hmm. beginning. I wanted to take a uh, moment to actually read a couple of the standards. And I know there are hundreds of them covering grades. Uh, is it, It's K through 12, right? K through 12, yeah. Uh, in English language arts and also in mathematics. So this one is from the Eng- English language arts standards in the category of history and social studies for grade 11 and 12. And I'll quote, site-specific textual evidence to support analysis of primary and secondary sources, connecting insights gained from specific details to an understanding of the text as a whole. And let me go to uh, grade two geometry and just briefly read that standard. Recognize and draw shapes having specified attributes such as a given number of angles or a given number of equal faces. Identify triangles, quadrilaterals, pentagons, hexagons, and cubes. So, and again, there's hundreds of these. Now, and this is not the same thing as curriculum, right? This is standards. Right, that's right. So what's what's the... What's the difference? Uh, how should we think about them differently, standards versus curriculum? Right. I think of standards really as aspirational statements. Here's what we would like kids to learn 
-hmm. in a particular subject, in a particular grade. And the ELA, I'll, I'll use ELA as shorthand for English language arts. It's okay. just a lot easier uh, to say. The ELA standard that you mentioned actually is a very important one uh, for what the Common Core is trying to do because the Common Core in that particular standard, and, and by the way, this starts long before 11th grade, is to uh, force kids when they're doing analytical work, when they're analyzing literature, they're analyzing any text, it could be nonfiction, to back up their analysis with actual evidence from the text itself. Mm -hmm. They, The Common Core authors feel that that's been a weakness in the American um, English language arts standards of the past by not demanding that kids really document what they're saying with evidence. So that's that's one thing I would note, note there. Um, but I think they are primarily aspirational. Now, what's curriculum? Curriculum actually are then the materials that are used to teach to kids that particular skill mm -hmm. or knowledge. So in the case of second grade geometry, there are all kinds of different textbooks out there that teach geometric shapes in second grade, mm -hmm. uh, that teach the concept of what an angle is. Uh, if you have four angles, what kind of shapes could those be? That's what the curriculum is. The curriculum really is the, the materials that are used by a teacher to, to teach a particular concept, idea, body of knowledge, whatever it is. Most commonly, the way you and I went to school and encountered curriculum was in a right. textbook. Right. It was a textbook. Textbook is, a, is part of the curriculum. And, and you yourself were a sixth grade teacher. Yes. Uh, once. And so you were involved in delivering curriculum. Absolutely. And I served on curriculum uh, committees for my district and also in the state of California. I taught for uh, almost a decade throughout the 80s. Okay. Uh, let's switch to some of your um, very recent research on the relationship between standards, the Common Core standards, and student achievement. What is that research and what have you been finding? Yeah. Well, I conducted a study uh, about three years ago looking at a single question, and it's the question that policymakers are most interested in. What kind of impact should we expect the Common Core to have on student achievement? Mm -hmm. Should we expect it to boost student achievement, um, to have no effect whatsoever, or to be negative as far as student achievement goes? And what I did to answer that question was to look at the history of standards in the United States. The okay. Common Core is not the first standards we've ever had. Okay. Uh, we've had other standards. In fact, in the 90s, we had several sets of standards that came out that were called national standards. We had national standards in math. They were voluntary. Um, you know, states didn't have to adopt them. The NCTM, the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, published a set of national standards in 1989. Okay. It was very influential. Most of the states in the country then shaped their own sets of state standards to reflect the NCTM standards of 1989. So we've had other standards documents. Now, what I did was take uh, the standards of the early 2000s, right at the beginning of No Child Left Behind, and I looked at whether they had had an impact on student achievement. And the first thing I looked at is whether the quality of the standards had any impact on student achievement. But I used a, a rating that was conducted by the Fordham Institute, okay. which is a educational think tank here in D.C., um, I think they have a pretty good rating system of standards, and they've been in the business of rating standards for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I just simply use their their quality indicators. And 
what I did was look at the standards that they thought were excellent in math and in English language arts, and then the ones they thought they were kind of mediocre, and the states that they thought had really terrible standards. And I took the states then and, and examined their NAEP scores. That's the National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP. And it turned out there was no correlation, no relationship at all uh, between the states with good standards and their student achievement and the states with bad standards. Okay. They, they achieved just as much. Hawaii, for example, I, their standards are pretty poor, but they made uh, quite a bit of progress. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> but, so there must be some other factors involved in whether or not students make progress in their scores. That's right. That's right. So just the quality of standards. And I think the standards writers – and especially the Common Core standards writers, mm -hmm. they have a, a model in in their head as, as they started this project that if you come up with good standards, that's the first step towards boosting student achievement, that you need mm -hmm. to do that first and then other things happen. You know, they just throw this term implementation out. But uh, their their basic assumption is if you start with good standards, and you do a bunch of other good things down the line that you're going to improve student achievement. And actually, my research called that into question. And so speaking of implementation, your one chapter in your latest Brown Center report on American education deals with the relationship between implementation of Common Core standards and achievement. Can you talk about that? Right. So uh, one thing that I did in that study was try to provide an early report card uh, on the Common Core. It's true that we're very early in the ball game of implementing Common Core. But nevertheless, the state's been very active over the last three years implementing Common Core. So there, there was a survey conducted in 2011 by the federal government, and it was part of uh, asking the states, now we've given you a lot of money to help mm -hmm. you do things in education. Have you spent money on the following activities? And four of the activities had to do with implementing Common Core. So I took the responses that the states gave to that question and then sorted the states into three groups, the states that had been very active implementing Common Core. So what I mean by that is they had joined a consortium that was writing new assessments okay. tied to the Common Core. Um, and they had spent money on both professional development, which means trying to train teachers uh, into how to provide quality instruction based on the Common Core. And they'd also spent money on new materials with the Common Core. So those were my active states. On the other end of that continuum, I had uh, five, there are five states that didn't adopt the Common Core at all. So they're kind of my control group. I just right. called them the non-adopters. Non and then any other state that was left, I threw it in the middle of the pot and okay. called them sort of medium implementers. Some of them had done professional development, but not curriculum. Some of them had bought new curriculum, but had not yet spent a lot of money on professional development. So they were kind of in the middle. And I did find a positive effect. Uh, it was a very small positive effect, but the states that have been most actively implementing Common Core did register larger NAEP gains, especially from 2011 to 2013, but even from 2009 through 2013. But it again, the effect was quite small. It was like one NAEP point, uh, which is very tiny. And you might see uh, NAEP gains larger than that and for other kinds of interventions in education? Well, I think if you talk to Common Core supporters, uh, and I did after that study came out, they said, well, you're being quite unfair because 
a bunch of things that we know must happen haven't happened yet. Like, for example, the two assessments that I mentioned, there are two assessments, two different groups that are writing assessments right. tied to the Common Core. Those haven't been implemented yet. In fact, they're being piloted right now. This uh, this month, there's been piloting going on, which means they're experimenting with the tests and getting collecting data. And the tests don't count, but they're giving them okay. to kids to see what they are like. These are the uh, these are the tests the kids take on computers. And Matt Chingos has done some research on the cost of these tests. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the kids take them. For the most part, they are computer based tests, and th those are they're being piloted right now. So to go back to my, the point I was making, the Common Core supporters. You know, and quite fairly said, look, we're very early in the implementation of the Common Core, and certainly you can't make a judgment before the tests are given to kids and there's accountability system that's tied mm -hmm. to the results of the tests. And I, I think that's correct. And I also wrote that right. when I published the study. Right. We, are, we are very early in the ballgame, as you said, and it seems like now especially as the uh, the testing comes into play, opposition is suddenly sprouting up around the country. And from unexpected quarters, I don't follow along any political lines that are obvious. I mean, uh, I think uh, I read that Indiana has actually pulled out of Common Core standards, but the New York State Teachers Union has also expressed some opposition to it as currently being implemented. Um, can you speak to some of the reasons why there's this opposition now when a few years ago so many states seem to be very eager to join this uh, program. Yeah. Education always had strange political coalitions, mm -hmm. just bizarre political coalitions. And the Common Core is no exception to that. I would characterize the opposition to the Common Core as being populist in nature. And you have a you have kind of a, a, a far right Tea Party ish right. opposition to the Common Core. And that particular group they're most concerned about the kind of federal government overreach of the Common Core. They're concerned that the curriculum may introduce uh, – I know I read this morning about a Toni Morrison novel, a passage from a Toni Morrison novel that was offending right. people on certain grounds. Mm -hmm. And so you have, a, you have this opposition from kind of the Tea Party right. You also have an opposition from the far left and they are uh, predominantly against standardized tests. So they see the Common Core as being used – to make standardized testing kind of the centerpiece of what how we judge how kids are learning. They're against that. Mm -hmm. um, also, tying the Common Core and the results of to any teacher evaluation has the unions very upset. Does the very... Child Left Behind do, do a similar thing? No. No. No Child Left Behind. Uh, the, the teacher quality provisions of No Child Left Behind um, had to do with credentialing that if you know, every child, every teacher had to be a highly qualified teacher, which basically meant they had to be credentialed. But there has been, through Race to the Top, which is the Obama program, Race to the Top encouraged uh, student test scores to be used in evaluation of teachers. Yes. So, uh, so that evaluation reform is happening at the same time that the Common Core is happening and the people who are against the evaluation of teachers based on test scores, things like, you know, the LA Times published value-added scores of teachers in the, in the paper with the teachers' names. And this was, this was very, very controversial. The people who are against that kind of evaluation, including the unions, 
have stepped away. Now, both unions support the Common Core, but they're saying, gee, it's not being implemented correctly. Okay. And for the most part, what they're talking about is, a, is teacher evaluation. Let's look at this uh, idea that uh, it's federal government overreach for just a second. Oh, first of all, just so I'm sure, it's not a federal government program. Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's an initiative of the National Governors Association and the... CCSSO. Yeah. The Council of Chief State School Officers. Thank you. Yeah. So it's not the federal government coming into local schools and saying you should teach this curriculum, you should teach these values. But some of some of still claim that, given that the federal government has many levers, including race to the top, to incentivize strongly states to opt into this. Yes, and that's exactly right. So, it's true it's not a federal initiative, but the federal government was not neutral mm-hmm. on the Common Core. The federal government provide incentives through race to the top, and through just bully pulpit, uh, you know. Secretary Duncan giving speeches all over the country, Barack Obama mentioning the Common Core in the State of the Union address. Right. These, these are they embrace the Common Core. The Obama administration embraced the Common Core, and in a lot of political quarters, that's not a good thing. Uh, that's that's not going to make the Common Core popular. Uh, well, at least one state has pulled out of the Common Core. Uh, and there's coalitions to to lower the cost of testing. What would happen if more states pulled out of that and testing's costs increased? I mean, that would possibly cause a spiral effect that more states would say, we can't participate in the testing of this. Yeah, that's possible. I I take a little different view of that. I mean, the states that are pulling out, so Indiana pulled out, but they're still going to have a test and that that test is going to cost them something. So it's unclear how much money they're saving. The ones that are using money as a Reason for pulling out, that's a fig leaf. That's not the real reason. I mean, they're responding to political opposition within the state. And I think that's true in Indiana. If you look at the states, Indiana, Oklahoma now, almost certainly is, I think the governor hasn't signed the legislation yet, but you can count Oklahoma's pulling out. And then this morning, uh, South Carolina is very, very close to pulling out. They're withdrawing from the consortium, the Smarter Balanced uh, Consortium that's writing one of the tests. So the, the key question is how much will they save? They're still going to do their own testing. And it may even cost them more in the short run to develop their own test. So we'll see. I, I don't. The cost uh, difference doesn't impress me. I even read uh, that in Indiana, at least, it has to uh, still have standards and that it's, uh, quote, new standards, basically resemble the Common Core standards. Yes. Um, that's happening in other states, too, where the state's there may be states that, because of political opposition, withdraw from the Common Core. But essentially, what they're going to do is rename the Common Core standards, um, mm-hmm. give it some other name, and essentially adopt the same set of set of standards. There, these new standards that the uh, so-called withdrawal states are coming up with aren't very different. I want to spend a couple minutes on this idea that I've heard some people express. That Common Core puts too much emphasis on mathematics and in the English curriculum, kind of non-literature uh, curricula, um, that it doesn't have a focus on creative thinking and, and other kinds of non-technical skills. Yeah. Um, let's go to the ELA part. The, okay. the ELA standards, that is a controversial aspect of the ELA standards because historically you know, like I said, I taught I taught sixth grade and I was an English major. 
the teaching of English language arts in K through 12 is very much focused on the reading of fiction. You don't read a lot of nonfiction. Now, you may read nonfiction as you're studying history and maybe a little bit in science. But for the most part, it's reading fiction. And the high school teachers, English teachers, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they implement this idea of more nonfiction. Now, it's not clear exactly how much more, but I'd be very surprised. And again, this is another sort of implementation question that I think the architects of the Common Core didn't think through mm-hmm. all the way. Uh, teachers don't change overnight, not unless there's a good reason for them to. And so you take an English teacher who's been teaching, uh, say, Macbeth to 10th graders, you're, you're going to have to really have a very good reason for that teacher to no longer teach Macbeth to mm-hmm. 10th graders. Right. And, and so we'll see how that plays out. And it's going to be interesting to see in terms of classroom practice. And now actually we're moving to another piece of what implementation means. Macbeth is part of the curriculum, but the instruction in Macbeth, you can teach Macbeth a thousand different ways. And of course, instruction then is another implementation part that's going to determine the ultimate fate of the Common Core. Now, on the math side, we've seen in the media, we saw in the Colbert Report, this this math problem that a kid had to do, subtracting a three-digit number from another three-digit number, and there's all these uh, arches on a number line. And then his dad writes a note that says, you know, I have a degree in engineering or something. This is how you do it. Sorry, Johnny couldn't, you know, do it your way. And then is there any, any credence to the idea that, that that's, a, uh, that's a standard or is that just an implementation problem as well? It's both. On the one hand, that, that particular math problem came from a series that predates the Common Core. So okay. you can't very well blame the Common Core for, you know, there, there are all kinds of just really uh, stupid math problems out there in books, just really horrible things that we confuse kids with in terms of mathematics. There are just bad textbooks and there are bad examples and there are bad problems that are presented. This happens to be a bad one. But it predates the Common Core. So a lot of the Common Core defenders said, you know, you can't blame the Common Core for this. Well, that's half right. The half where I think they're wrong is in school districts, and in schools and in classrooms, people hear a certain message from Common Core. And one of the messages is kids need to be doing this kind of deeper learning, deeper Mm -hmm. thinking, higher order thinking in mathematics. We've gone through this in the past. We've gone through the exact same thing. And in a way, what it does is it gives local educators license to adopt a lot of this garbage, this really bad curriculum. And they do it under the shield of the Common Core. Now, unfortunately, that, that particular problem is just a terrible math problem. It should not be given to kids. I would never have taught any of my elementary right. school kids that way. It's a terrible problem. And there, there are worse problems I've seen in the first grade, quote, unquote, Common Core math. But again, those problems have been around a very long time. They predate Common Core. But you have educators who are bringing them in because there are certain phrases you can use like, Mathematical reasoning, for example. This is like a dog whistle to a certain way of approaching mathematics that has never worked in the past. It's, it was been tried over and over again. The 1960s it was tried. It was tried in the 1990s. It failed both times. And we're seeing a resurrection of some of these bad materials and these bad practices again. And 
it's partially the Common Core's fault. And this may not even be relevant, but uh, I'm thinking about charter schools, private schools. Do they fit into um, standards generally? Uh, does Common Core affect them? Let me also throw in um, homeschoolers. Um, eventually it does because – and actually I'm glad you asked the question because we think of these – we think of charter schools and private schools and homeschooling as being so different from a regular public school. And it is different in some respects. But it's – very rarely is it different in terms of curriculum. And it's because there's only so much curriculum out there. You know, you're, you're, you're limited to the universe unless you're going to invent – Unless you have a homeschool, you have a parent who's so good at homeschooling that he or she invents this brilliant curriculum all on their own when all the people who study curriculum can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, then maybe it makes a difference. But for the most part, so when you go into private schools, you see some of the same textbooks, the same curriculum materials that you see in a public school. And in that respect, schooling, because of the kind of natural limitations of curriculum, you see, you see all kinds of schooling really kind of converge on a particular set of topics. Bottom line, what is the, uh, the intended purpose of Common Core Standards and, and, and where, do you think, uh, where do you think it goes from here? Well, I think the purpose is to boost you know, American achievement, uh, the achievement of American kids in math and English language arts. Where it goes from here, I think it runs into – continued political opposition because we haven't even got to the point where we're at the accountability system stage. And that's when a reform like this is going to become the most controversial because that's when things start to bite. We'll go back to that absurd math problem. If you start retaining kids in grade because they fail a test that's made up of even with one item like that on it, it's going to, it's going to cause an uproar. Or if you start firing teachers because of an evaluation system that has one item like that on the test, you're going to have an uproar. So as accountability systems are implemented, that's when, you know, we learned this from No Child Left Behind. No Child Left Behind was its most popular on the day it was adopted by Congress, and it went steadily downhill after that. Right. By the time it got to schools and we were giving tests and there were consequences, it became unpopular. And that's going to happen again with a Common Core, I think. So... I see more political opposition. In terms of an impact, I, I still am a skeptic that there will be any impact to the Common Core on student achievement. So I would guess, you know, we have a 20-year trend, 24-year trend that is upward. It's kind of a nice steady slope upward, especially in math. In reading, it's not as pronounced, but in mathematics, at both grades four and eight, very steady gains for the last quarter of a century. I'd expect that to continue despite the Common Core, but I don't expect it to, to rise at a, uh, any faster than it is now. And those gains are measured in the NAEP? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then what do the states that aren't even doing Common Core now, like my home state of Virginia or my actual birth home state of Texas, yep. wh what do they do? How do they fit in if, if 45, 44 states are, are doing Common Core and five or six aren't? Where does that uh, leave us kind of nationally in trying to understand student achievement? Well, one thing that will be good is to is – to, there are only five of them, unfortunately. It's not a very big sample. But to follow those five states and see what happens uh, since they're doing their own thing. My guess is they are going to – they first of all, they have their own standards. They're going to be adopting curriculum materials that, that are going to look very similar 
to those being used in the common core states. They're going to come up with tests that are fairly similar to the ones used in the common core states. And again, it gets back to this whole essential thesis that I have that standards don't create huge differences once they get to the ground level, once they get into classrooms and, and you actually have teachers teaching kids. They don't create the kind of differences that the architects of these standards envision. So to kind of wrap up here, uh, this is a huge issue. I mean, uh, again, our colleague Matt Chingos pointed out that 85% of American students are, are in a state where there's common core standards. It's a, it affects millions of people. At the risk of having forgotten to kind of ask a salient question, kind of wh how would you sum up the common core standards, what you're learning, what we need to learn, where we go from here? Well, I think it's 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 a goldmine for researchers like me because it it's measuring change, and um, we like to do that. If if they wind up working, and by working I mean to go back to my earlier answer, we see an acceleration in achievement. So we've got we need to have some concrete evidence that kids are learning more than they learned before. Just pretty simple. I doubt we're going to see that. But if we do, it could unleash then all kinds of benefits in terms of, say, cre creating curriculum. If, if it's true that the Common Core is having a positive effect, then we know at least that the curriculum that's developed in the future should be tied to the Common Core and that there's a benefit to doing that. So we also then could go to, uh, to me, a much more important question. Because a lot of the things with the Common Core just are, are uh, they, they've, we've taught them for years. You go to first grade, single-digit addition or two-digit addition has been taught in first grade forever, before the Common Core, after the Common Core. It's in the Common Core. It was in all the state standards. What we don't know yet, in a real scientific manner, the materials that do the best job of teaching kids how to do two-digit plus two-digit okay. addition. And we don't know the instructional strategies a teacher should use. How should that topic or that concept be introduced? How should it be reinforced? How much time does it take for most kids to learn that particular concept? They're just basic fundamental questions that we don't have answers to. You know, if the Common Core is allowed to survive and we have demonstrable benefits coming from it, then those are the kinds of questions hopefully we can, we can look at too, you know, down the line. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time today, and the following pun is intended. This has been quite an education. All right. Very good. Thank Thanks. To learn more about Tom and his research, visit brookings.edu slash Brown Center. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. <laughs>